0: let's get started. Um, Really excited about this one today. Um, I've got Ian Hunt joining me today to talk about everything around independent schools in Dubai and the Middle East. Thanks a lot for joining us Ian. Um, Just a quick intro, Ian sits on the board of a number of schools in the UK and the Middle East. Um, He's a former HMC head and is current chairman of the Halebury Group of Schools in Kazakhstan. Uh, So very knowledgeable of international education differences between that and the UK. So really excited to hear his thoughts on these trends that we're seeing at the moment. Um, So let's get started and go through um, some high-level bits of information I think our listeners will really take uh, on board um, about the independent school scene in Dubai specifically and the Middle East and how that differs from the UK to start with.
1: It's a very interesting one actually because the Dubai's um, environment has changed over the last five to six years from being very much a seller's market into becoming a buyer's market. Um, And the demand for premium schools in Dubai um, has dropped off a little bit. And what we're seeing now is a number of empty spaces in the premium schools, which are British curriculum, in uh, the Dubai market. Uh, and that's, that's caused quite a lot of consternation amongst the, the big groups. And what it has done is it's forced everybody to continue to raise their game. And what we're seeing is uh, a number of schools in Dubai who have uh, spaces r- right the way through from reception all the way through to year 13. Now, traditionally, there's been a triangular uh, demand structure in Dubai, whereby the youngest children uh, have been competing for fewer uh, spaces yeah. in the schools. What we're, what we're now seeing is that there are spaces opening up across all age groups because of the number of, of schools and the limited number of expat buyers who are in the Emirate. So it's going to be interesting to see how this COVID scenario... Yeah impacts on on those spaces because there's a, undoubtedly there is a number of um of expats who'll be moving back to their own countries uh the uk obviously being yeah. a significant number uh and it will have an impact on on spaces available in in the dubai
0: schools that's an interesting trend isn't it and we're definitely seeing it this side but is that kind of dynamic because there's more schools opening so there's more supply um but that's actually coupled with more people leaving the market as well. So you've got kind of a glut of spare seats.
1: It's an interesting one because I think that uh, originally it was certainly about more schools coming in. And um, I think that the the market was allowed to to set its own level. And so we would, you know, where previously we saw uh, the, the concept of build it and they shall come Mm. uh, and schools would as soon as they were built they would be filled now because of the high quality number of um of schools uh, which have got big marquee names uh, behind them yeah um, there's there's definitely a um, a glut of those in the premium in the premium area Um, but also the the there's two factors one is the fact that Big companies are no longer paying school fees, and mm-hmm. so the school fees are being paid for out of earned income by the, the parents, which I think has also given rise to the greater demand for middle um, middle cost schools. So, so not the premium schools, but the middle uh, the middle um, band schools. And then, of course, um, what's happening is that there's almost a perfect storm being created now because. Uh, along with the increase in the number of schools, there's now been a decrease in the number of expats because of of what's happened in in the world. And so um, I think there's going to be a very challenging time over the next two or three years in uh, the Dubai education market.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And like I said, we're seeing a number of families who are looking to re enter the UK education system, all entry points, um, maybe they've been away for six to eight years and it's time to come home. Um, from what you're seeing from your side of the fence, in for your when you're wearing your Dubai hat, what do you think the reasons might be for people suddenly making that decision to want to come back to the, to the UK or their home country and leave that market?
1: I think that undoubtedly, the the um the world pandemic has had a huge impact and it can have had an impact in two different ways. One in that the confidence to be overseas where so many people previously were, were very, um, very willing to, to travel, very willing to to spend, um, spend time overseas. Now I think there's a bit of a retrenchment in that and people are looking to come home. Um, and the second factor is that they're just not the, um, the employment available, and some families are having to relocate because the jobs are not there anymore in the Emirates uh, where they were when they they originally came over.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, So I think it would be really good now to move on to some of the key questions that one of the reasons why I wanted to put this podcast together, actually, with yourself, was that we're getting asked more and more from families, domestic families who are moving back home from that region, what are the key things they need to look at What are the key things they need to research and learn prior to making that decision um, to moving back into the UK education system for their kids?
1: Sure. Um, And it's a really interesting question because when this whole pandemic started, one of my greatest concerns was that the the independent sector, the private school sector internationally, would be uh, drawn down to the lowest common denominator and be very similar to the government schools. Uh, because it was all online. And there is absolutely no doubt that that has not happened. And I'm sure um, that there will be personal examples uh, in, of all of our um, listeners at the moment of schools where the online provision in Dubai has been superb. Mm-hmm. And um, the communication between the school and the and the families has been excellent. And every single day there's been high-quality online learning. But at the same time, there will also have been examples of very poor practice where work will have been set, people will not have been communicating regularly, the Zoom lessons won't have been taking place um, on a regular basis. And it it, there is a stark contrast between various different schools. And I'm talking within the premium sector itself, not just between the premium sector and and the middle sector. Now, when you come to look at the UK, exactly the same situation has occurred. And there will be independent schools in the UK that will have done this superbly. And there will be independent schools in the UK that will not. And it's very important that you do your research or you get someone to do your research for you to find out who the best provisions of online learning have been. Because I can guarantee you that if they've done the online learning well, They'll do the face-to-face learning just as well because their level of of care and and attention and well-being and academic um, probity will have been first class. And if they've got that on the online level, they'll also have it on the face-to-face.
0: Yeah, Yeah, very good point. Um, I think a lot of our listeners to this one, especially, will be um expats who are coming back home so they've probably got some prior knowledge of the uk system they've been through it themselves um but maybe a little bit out of touch they've been out of the system for eight to ten years um maybe they've taken some comfort in the british brand names abroad in dubai because a lot of the uk top branded schools like you said are overseas so without mentioning the names um what's the difference between um a top reputable uh, UK school in Dubai and the flagship in the UK. And if a family are moving from one to the other, what do they need to consider? Because it is a very different offering, isn't it?
1: It, it is a very different offering. And, and it, it always makes me smile when, when we see the likes of a, an all boys boarding school branding itself as a mixed day yes, school. please exactly. Um, so the provision of um, what is on offer is always going to be be very different. I think, anybody moving back to the UK can be comforted by the fact that whatever they've experienced overseas, they're likely to get that plus back in the UK. Um, the, the, it's very rare that, that there are boarding provisions in, um, in the overseas market with the big marquee names. But if there are, then the chances are that, that whilst there is there's always a really Um, a really good attempt to to replicate it it won't be quite the same and the holistic nature of the learning environment that you Mm -hmm. find in the uk is really what makes it and stands it out as the gold standard in world education
0: yeah i think the the tricky part with all of this is um picking the timing so in an ideal world you know the schools recruit at the main entry points 11 13 16 What would be your advice for family who they've decided that they're coming back now um, but they're in between those entry points? Is it impossible or how do you get around that problem?
1: It's a really good question. And probably 10 years ago, um, all your um, directors of studies or deputy head academics would have have pulled their hair out being told that uh, somebody wants to join halfway through a GCSE year or halfway through an A-level year. Um, The reality is that more and more schools have now worked out ways in which to allow this to happen. And it is a compromise and it does have to be discussed very closely with, with the school, but don't think for a second that it's not possible. There mm. are opportunities. Um, you may have a reduced number of schools as, as your, um, your options, but there are plenty of schools out there who will offer that interim period. Of course, the other alternative is to repeat a year. This sounds a terrible idea for, for the 15-year-old for the who, who thinks they've got to do an extra year. But actually, the reality in the long-term and the the, and the long-term benefits can very often be well worthwhile.
0: Yeah, very good point. Never too late. Um, and I think let's talk a little bit more now on, on broader note. And I know you've advised hundreds of families over the years um, relocating from various countries into the UK. Um, There's hundreds of great-looking schools. The websites all look fantastic these days with their drone footage, um, all of the the videos and the Qs and A's and stuff. Um, How do you set those apart from each other? And what are the top five tips you'd give to a family when they're just starting to research the family, uh, the location, and what type of school they're looking for?
1: It's a really good question, and it's probably the one that is least satisfactorily answered by by families themselves um, I think I think the first um, point to make is that please don't ever send your child to the school that you went to just because you went to it um, every school is different and every child is different and if you've got the opportunity and you've got more than one child I guarantee you that, that your children uh, are very different to each other and the school that you are intending to send them may not be the best one for both of them. So it could be that you you end up sending one child to one school and another to another. Now, of course, logistically, that might not be be, uh, an opportunity that you can take. So I think the the first, the the next point is to, is to really consider whether whether you are on board with the philosophy of the head, Um, male or female, the head will drive the culture of the school. And it's really important that you buy into that culture. So listening to what they're saying, listening to how they say it, and trying to match it up with what you know about your own child. Because it's so important that you take what you can see in your child and match it to what the school is offering. And it's it's a lovely thought to be sitting down at a dinner table and... and and talking to your friends about which schools your, your child has gone to. But remember, it's the child that's got to go there yeah. and the child that's going to, to benefit from what they're offering or not, depending on, on which school you send them to. So it's really important that, that you match the school with the qualities of the child. So, for example, um, if you've got highly academic school and your child is very much an all-rounder who is never going to be a high flyer, then being at the bottom of the class in a high flying school, if you can in fact get them in, what impact is that going to have on their well being and their mental confidence um, compared yeah. to putting them into a different school where they will thrive yeah. and fly and actually fulfil their potential? So Excellent. it's very very important that that you match the um, you match the the qualities of the school with the qualities of the child.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, don't be seduced entirely by buildings. Um, your children will be happy. Uh, as you know, um, when they were two years old, they, you gave them a, a box and the box that the present came in was far more, um, far more interesting than the <laughs> present itself. Well, it's not that different when it comes to, to boarding schools um, or indeed day schools. Um, the children are not as seduced by facilities as parents are. Uh, what they want to know is are they going to be happy there are -hmm. they going to make good friends there and are they going to be cared for and supported when things go wrong
0: yeah yeah um that touches on a very interesting point actually that we get asked quite a bit from families who weren't necessarily educated independently themselves but actually are then choosing that path for their children so um it can be a very confusing environment for them to start navigating um We hear a lot about the buzz term independent school life, Um, the housing system, the excursions, the extra bits that you get around the the curriculum. Could you expand a bit about what that means in real terms and how that looks like in a day-to-day modern busy family life?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, there are different ways in which this uh, this can be taken. I mean, there there are many families who um, will put their children into an independent school boarding environment because they just don't have the time to support them um, through their own busy life schedules into, for example, the gymnastics clubs or the swimming clubs or going taking them to the football training or or, or rugby. Um, whereas an independent boarding school, all of this is laid on throughout the day. And they'll get up at 7.30 in the morning, they'll have breakfast you're not having to, to fight with them to get A, get up or B, to, to, to make them make them food. And then they're up and out and they are at work or at play all the way through pretty much until bedtime of that evening. And the day is filled with different opportunities, with different areas that they're, they're focusing on. And of course, very importantly, they've got the access to, to members of staff if they're struggling academically as well, yeah, yeah. That, they can, that, that they can get hold of. Um, the best independent schools are on hand to be there 24-7 for your child. And the old days of Tom Brown school days or, or the, the 19th century boarding um, elements are, have long, long gone. And they are much more these days like five-star hotels rather than... Um, Sounds than good being to five- me.
0: In Dickensian times Um, that's great so just to kind of wrap up and go back a little bit into the application process for these schools um, I know the modern day open days it can be a very well choreographed event and they look great when they're in person Um, what would you say to a parent when they're going to these open days what to ask who to ask to really get under the skin of that school and kind of understand the nuggets that are applicable to you as a family
1: it's probably the most important question that you could ask Billy. Really. Um, I think as I said before you've, you've got to um, be on the same page and to resonate with the head and what the head is saying, but there'll be other questions like how how often do you communicate with me how how will I know that my child is is doing well? do I have to keep asking you or will you will you let me know if anything's wrong or if anything is what well, is going well um, what what opportunities will my child have to grow? And that means outside of the classroom as much as inside the classroom. Um, how, how do you do you teach? Do you teach through a streamed system, through a setting system? Um, do you have a, um, a completely open uh, academic structure? I need to, you know, I need to understand what will work for my child. Um, how big are the classes? Um, uh, you know, mm. everybody can, can take a number and divide it by X number of teachers and say, therefore, the average class size. Yeah. But what is the actual average class size? Mm. Mm. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think it's, it's really important that we go back to this concept of what's my child like? And therefore, what will the school be able to do to allow my child to fulfill their potential? And the questions each parent will ask will be different ones according to their own child. But you will know, and only you will know, what works for your child and therefore what questions to ask in order to ensure that the school can be the best place for them to learn.
0: I think it's also about having the confidence to ask that question about what you want and to really get the most out of that open day experience.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where um, the best education consultants come in because they know the questions to ask and yeah. they also, they're also they uh, also able to, to ask the ones that perhaps you are a little bit uncomfortable in asking.
0: Yeah, no, good point. Um, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, Ian. That was very useful. Uh, I Thank think you. everyone will find that very valuable in their search and then uh, move back to the UK. Um, I'll let you get back on with the day, but thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. That was the Excellence in Education podcast by William Clarence Education. For more information on how we can help you or your family or any of the points discussed today, along with all the latest news and views on UK education, please head to the website www.williamclarence.com.